Well, good morning, church. Can you join me in thanking our worship team again? And Joseph, thank you for grabbing the podium. I promise that I'm not high maintenance. I simply cannot move this thing on my own, especially when I have my um, height enhancers here. So there's just no way. <laughs> well, good morning, church. It is good to be gathered together this morning. How are you this morning? Good. I hope so, because after worship like that, who wouldn't be? Amen? Amen. Well, my name is... Pastor Rose, I'm, I get to serve as one of the associate pastors here at Sanctuary Covenant Church. Um, I serve in the area of family ministry, though also in this time of transition, I have gotten the privilege um, to lead in our life groups as well. Um, and as Pastor Edron shared this morning before our community sharing time, we are in a season of, of transition. We've been in this series called Threshold living faithfully in between. Now this series has helped us identify the season that we're in because over a month ago we celebrated and sent off Pastor uh, Dennis Edwards, our former senior pastor. But this series has also, um, beyond just marking and identifying the season we're in, it really has informed us. It's informed how we are to act and how we are to live in this season as well as what's to come. How we are to act and to, and to live our life as a community together. So this, this series has focused on specific characters in the Bible. And up until now, we've looked at the Old Testament. We've looked at people like Jonah and Ruth. We've looked at people like Esther and, and Caleb and Joshua, and they have all challenged us, haven't they? They've challenged us to trust God, to cling to one another in community. They've encouraged us to see that this time of transition can actually be a season of great growth and transform transformation. And they've also taught us to name and understand the fear and anxiety that, that might be present in this season, but to look ahead at, at God's faithfulness, at how God has brought us through, at the, at, the, at the ways in which God is faithful and true. And so this morning, we are going to look again um, in this uh, series of Threshold, and we're gonna conclude this morning in that series, and we're gonna look at the New Testament, Specifically, we are going to look this morning at the words of Paul to the community and the believers there in Ephesus. And we are going to see how, how Paul's words inform our next steps as a church. So church, would you pray with me together this morning? Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity, Lord. This opportunity to, to share in this word together, to be mutually encouraged as well as challenged by what your word says for us this morning, by what your word says to us in this season of transition, Lord. God, we pray more than anything that we would be dependent on you and you alone, that we would be guided by you and you alone, Lord God. And so God, may my words, uh, may my preparation, may this time and this space together as a community be enriching, be, um, be um, uplifting, but also, Lord, may it, more than anything, 
be glorifying to you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, church, I want to invite you to open your Bibles this morning. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be reading specifically from verses 11 through 22. Now, if you don't have your Bibles, you can read along on the screen, and I'll share the words of our passage this morning. So Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22 says this. So then, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who were called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at the time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. For he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, for through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints, and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. That's God's word for us this morning. Well, 11 years ago, uh, my husband Ryan and I got married. Um, we got married here in Minnesota uh, because that's where I grew up. Um, we got married, and a few months later, we packed up literally everything that we had and we moved halfway across the country to Southern California, a place that we had never been to before. And we had both started seminary at Fuller Seminary. And now it was our first year of marriage. So you can um, imagine that it was a year of many discoveries, <laughs> to say the least. And one of those discoveries that we made is how different students Ryan and I are. You see, Ryan's motto in seminary was, C's get degrees. No, no. Whereas my motto was the complete opposite. Yes, C's get degrees, but A's get the praise. Amen? So as you can imagine, I studied every syllabus with care. I was sure to understand what the, the requirements of my professors were. I strived and was determined to get the highest grade that I could earn. Now that's not to say that Ryan wasn't a good student. Ryan is extremely smart. And if you know him, you know that about him. But we approached it very differently, clearly. 
Now, Ryan was more focused on, on being shaped by the content, which is good, right? He was much more um, interested in being shaped by the content and didn't necessarily matter if that meant an A or a C. Um, he didn't really get too focused on, you know, if my paper is exactly how this should be, whereas I was. I wanted to know what I could do to get that A. And yes, I wanted to be formed by the content, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but success for me was a grade then. I'm working on it now, but. But as we were in seminary, um, there was one Old Testament professor that was very well known and she was very respected on campus. Now her name was Dr. Mignon Jacobs and Dr. Jacobs was a sought after uh, professor at Fuller because she was one of the few black female Old Testament scholars in the field. And so she was very um, sought after. She was also extremely knowledgeable in her field. And so, but she was also very well known as being a really hard grader. Like hardly anyone ever got an A in her class. So naturally, I was a little wary to take her class. Because unfortunately, again, I was more concerned with what my grade might be than the actual content. But I am so glad that I did it. I'm so glad that I took her class. Now, I don't remember what grade I received, actually. Um, I don't remember what my grade was in the end, but I remember her lectures. Now, I don't necessarily remember all of the assignments that she had for us, but I do remember her love and her care of the Old Testament. Now, I don't, um, even in the time together, there are things that I may not remember in terms of, you know, the syllabus and whatnot, but I was shaped by her class. And I will never forget something that she spoke about often in her class. It's something that I'll never forget, and it was the command in the Old Testament to remember. Now, she talked at length how God commanded the Israelites to remember, to remember God's faithfulness, to remember where you have come from, to remember what you have been through, remember what was, so that you can live in faithfulness in the days to come. Dr. Jacobs believes so strongly in this command to remember that she stated that whenever the Israelites would forget, when they would forget God's faithfulness, when they forget where they had come from, where they had, when they would forget who was leading them ahead, that the Israelites were sinning in their failure to remember. So as we look at our passage this morning and discern what it might mean for us as a community in this threshold season, I want us to look ahead, yes, but we have to first look back. We have to first look back and, re and imagine what these words to the Ephesians might have meant as they heard them. So imagine with me. So imagine you, we are um, the Ephesians, the, a group in um, the small community in the early second century. Now these are all new Christians. Now, some of them may have been converting um, from a pagan religious background, like the Gentiles, 
Or some of them might be understanding their faith in completely in brand new ways as the Jewish people. They're also a very diverse group, diverse group of people in position together in one community. And they're hearing this letter from Paul. Now, in verses 11 through 12, they hear the words that are specifically to each of them. Some of the words are to the Gentiles, and some of the words are to the Jews. Now, to the Gentiles, Paul wants them to remember their former life, their their life that was once marked by a pagan religious background, a life that was once marked by a sinful lifestyle. Verse 11 says that they were once without Christ. They were strangers and aliens to God, and they were a people without hope. Paul is saying, remember that. Remember that story. Then to the Jews, Paul is saying, remember your former life as well. Remember in verse 11, and then later in verse 15, Paul says that once you were marked by the old covenant, You were once marked by specific rituals and practices that you'd have to do so that you'd be set apart as God's people. Remember that. So in reflecting on my Old Testament professor, Dr. Jacobs, I read this text from Paul and I can't help but be drawn in by Paul's multiple instances where he says, remember. Remember that at once you were Gentiles and you were called the uncircumcised. Remember that at one time you were without Christ. Remember, Jews, the rituals, your people, your story, those who have gone before you. Remember. Church, as we read Ephesians this morning and in this time, in this season of a threshold moment, We need to thrive to understand and to hear what the listeners heard in this letter. Now, no doubt the Jews were reminded to be a faithful people that remember. And no doubt the Gentiles were were reminded of their past life and how far God had brought them from their old and sinful ways of life, void of God's grace and inclusion, to remember that. These, uh, Paul was calling these people, this community, to be a remembering community. Now in this season of transition, I hope that we hear Paul's encouragement in Ephesians this morning. Paul's encouragement for us is to be a remembering community. We are to be a community that remembers where we have been, a community that remembers how we have been transformed and how we've grown together. A community that remembers God's faithfulness through the difficult and even seemingly impossible places that we found ourselves in. A community that remembers intently that we have not always resided in this beautiful building together. A community that remembers the impact that we've made and contributed to in North Minneapolis, but also the ways and the times that maybe we've failed to do that a community that remembers who is guiding us and who sustains us, but not a community that stays stuck in the past, not a community that only dwells in what was or who was or what we used to do. A remembering community doesn't stay frozen in time, reminiscing about about the past, 
for a fear of what's ahead. Instead, a remembering community understands how God has shaped us, how God has molded us for a forward future ahead. And so that's why my sermon this morning is called Remember for the Future. We are to remember to guide us ahead. So God is asking us in this season to be a remembering community. So what would that look like if we were a remembering community? In short, it means that we honor the past, but we don't get stuck in it. It means that we don't dwell in the past, stuck in this cycle of nostalgia, which can feel good sometimes, but that's not what it means to be a remembering community. Because that sort of remembering is an unhealthy remembering. An unhealthy remembering can paralyze us. And an unhealthy uh, remembering can confine us instead of, of, of what was that we can't even imagine something that, what, that could be. That sort of unhealthy remembering can cause us to be so overcome by, by the emotions of, of the people and the programs and, and things that once were that we can't even see a possibility of what's to come. But being a healthy remembering community is different. A healthy remembering community is one where we understand how our former leaders have shaped us and helped us grow. And we name that and we acknowledge that and, and celebrate that. We remember how God has been faithful in the past and in turn will continue to do so in the future. It's a healthy remembering that propels us forward with hope. So God wants us to be a remembering community. And in our passage today, we also see that in this time of transition, God wants us to be an imagining community. Now recently on social media, I posted a picture, and you'll see it above me. Uh, this is a picture of one of my weekly checklists. As you can probably tell from my earlier story, I like to have a checklist. I like to be organized. And in my post, um, I shared about how I love technology. I love how it helps me connect with people. I love how it can help me stay organized. But in my post, I share that there's just something, just something tangible and concrete about a checklist, about a paper checklist that I can have in my hands. Yes. Right? Yes, amen. <laughs> and I'm sure all the women and moms are like, amen, right? <laughs> but I know some of you men have them too. But. And I asked people, and I'll ask you too, um, if anyone feels the same, and you do, amen. <laughs> now, I love the way technology helps me in so many ways, but there's something just satisfying about one, understanding what's on my list to do, but then checking it off, right? Now, the reason that I love checklists more than just checking it off, and I do love that feeling, it's the best. <laughs> but the reason that I love to have a checklist going on uh, is because it's very simple. Um, it's because that it's really more difficult for me to remember to do something in the future. It's, it's easier for me to remember something that I've already done rather than remembering something that I have to do in the future. Now that won't surprise any neuroscientist, and I know that I'm not the only one, because retrospective memory 
or um, remembering something that's already happened is, is encoded differently in our brains. Okay, so it's very um, different in how our brains um, understand it. So um, it's encoded in ways that are different because there's a context, there's, a, there's an experience when you look back and think back to something. For example, you know, if you think back to this summer and something you did, you went on a trip, you can think about where you went, who you were with, um, what you did. You can think about uh, maybe um, the conversations you had, the connections you made with people. You can think about the emotions you felt. You can think about um, the conversations you had, etc. But it's harder to remember what we should do in the future. Even though we might have some sort of picture or image or maybe even an idea of what that might look like, it's harder to have, uh, to know what's ahead and what we should do in the future. So in looking at our text today, it's no wonder that Paul talks in great detail and for a majority of the passage about the current and the future state of the community in, in Ephesus. Now, after encouraging them to remember, which was actually just a few um, uh, verses, you know, whether they were Jews or Gentiles, he then spends the entire rest of the passage imagining what this community, this new community, might be. He describes these two very different groups of people in the past and how in verse 14 they are now unified in one in Jesus. There was division and now there's unity. Remembering that these groups were once hostile to one another, now they are defined by Christ's peace. Once these Gentiles were strangers, and now they are included in God's family. Once God was only accessible through certain rituals and practices, and it had to be in a certain place, and then now God's very dwelling place is in this community. So Paul is imagining what that might look for, like for them in their community. In verses 13 through 22, this, this is where Paul describes this whole new future. Paul is asking this community to remember where they have come from for the purpose of imagining a new future together. But we can only understand what, what this imagined future might look like um, for the Jews and the Gentiles in this new community um, in the verses and verses 13 through 22 as Paul um, talks about this new community. We can only understand that section if we look back. So we have to look back at an earlier verse in chapter 2. And that verse is, uh, is Ephesians 2 verse 5. Now, Ephesians 2, verse 5 is a central verse in understanding Ephesians 2. Some might even argue that it is the central verse for all of Ephesians. And it says this, Ephesians 2, 5 says, Even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. This part, by grace you have been saved, is central for Paul. In encouraging this community to be an imagining community, he uses this verse to frame what that future might look like. But to understand what that future might look like, we have to take a deeper look at, at really the grammar of that verse. 
So I'm going to get a little technical right now. Um, In that statement where it says, by grace you have been saved, the word saved is extremely important. And it's important not um, not simply just because um, it describes our past life in Christ, which is a central theme in Ephesians 2. And it's not um, important just because um, we are stating that we were saved in the past with no implication for the future. The verb tense of saved in that verse is extremely important. Because we could read that word and that statement in our English, and, and it could be very flat. You know, at once we were saved. Past tense, right? But in the Greek, the verb tense of saved is in the perfect tense. Now, if you don't remember some of your English grammar classes, that's okay. That's okay. The verb tense of saved being in the perfect tense is is important because it shows that a past action has a continuing relevance for the present as well as for the future. So it's not a past verb that indicates an action that's, that's finished, it's done, it has no significance for, for the future. But there is a continuing action. There's a continuing action of what happened in the past and it affects the present and informs the future. The past informs what's to come. The past has a purpose for the future. So this verb tense of saved is very significant. So let me illustrate it with an an analogy. So I shared earlier that I'm married. So Ryan and I are currently married. That's obviously what our relationship status is right now. But being married now implies that there was a starting point in the past, right? which was our wedding day, okay? So uh, the result of our wedding day is that I was married, I'm married now, and I will be married in the future, okay? So the past state of our marriage informs the present as well as the future state and the action of our marriage. And in isolation, neither are the full story of our marriage, of course. One impacts the other. One exists because of the other. So Paul is saying the same thing about salvation. You were saved, you are saved, and that informs future action for this community. So in understanding Ephesians 2.5, we see that Paul wants us to be a remembering community, a community that remembers what once was so that our past can inform our imagined future together. So with understanding, with that understanding of salvation um, from uh, verses, verse 2, 5, and verses 13 through 22, we see then that Paul is asking us to be an imagining community, a community that understands how the past informs our future together, a community that's not stuck in the past, wishing for the good old days, but a healthy community that is ready to imagine a new future together. Church, our remembrance should lead us to action. To be a remembering community means that we understand how we are to be an imagining community as well. A healthy remembering that leads to action in the future. So we need to remember for the sake of the future. But it's hard to imagine something that's not yet in existence. It's hard to be collectively unified in what that future might look like as a diverse church. 
But as a pastoral team and as, as elders, we believe that this is a critical time to do just that. In this time of, 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 of transition, we see that, that we can think about um, creatively and critically and purposefully about what our future might look like together. To think about how our past growth informs our current choices and how that can lead to a transformed future. A trans future, transformed future that, that not only uh, resides within these building, this building and these walls, but it's one that impacts North Minneapolis. Now, when you think of that future, when we think of that future together, what do you imagine with God? I know that we all have different pictures of what that might look like. When you see that vision of the future, how does our past inform and activate that future reality together? How can we honor what was while still moving forward for what God has for us. I believe that to be an imagining community can, look, uh, can really look like uh, three, three action steps. Now this, this is just my idea, and I want to be very clear that uh, this imagining community can't happen by just one person. It can't happen by just the pastoral team. It can't happen by just the elders. This is, it's, there's a reason it's called imagining community because it includes all of us. But I, but I have three ways in which I see us potentially moving forward. And that is that we need to name who we are. We need to understand and name who we are as a community. We need to name as well our future hope. What is it that we wanna see? and the future to come. And third, we have to have some skin in the game. It's gotta cost us something. So to first name who we are means that I want us to take the data of the, of the demographic survey that we took earlier this summer. I want us to look at that, to get a fuller picture of who we are now that we've moved here, that we're in this building, that we've established ourselves even more. I wanna know who we are. And more than that, we need to understand the demographics of our neighborhood in North Minneapolis as well. We need to understand what, what it means um, to name who we are as well as to name who our neighborhood is because there are some con contrasting differences and we need to look at that really honestly because we need to have that inform um, what it looks like to be a credible as well as a transforming witness in our community. Amen. And so I hope we do that soon, and I know we'll have space to do that. And I hope, and there will be a conversation coming soon as we look at that data. And it's, it's especially important as it informs um, our senior pastor search that's coming ahead. Then second, we want to be guided by who we are and who our neighborhood is, then we need to name what our future hope is together. Now this can't be in isolation. It should be informed by our neighborhood. This should be a communal, not just in this room, but communal widespread of what that transformation might look like together, what that imagined um, future reality might look like. And finally, we have to have skin in the game. We have to be invested at some level in this future hope that it actually costs us something. 
It should take the investment of our time, of our resources, our energy, our money, even our reputation. And what I mean is that, that if we imagine a future and it simply is something that happens on a Sunday morning, if we can accomplish it only on a Sunday morning, then it's not big enough. It should be something that takes all of our gifts, all of our energy and creativity to move us forward. It's not something that will be siloed to staff or to elders. It's not something that will be a special project for the outreach team. It's something that we are all invested in. There's some risk, some investment from all of us. It might look different, but we have an investment together. So do you want to do this work together? Amen. I hope so. I want to. But we need each other. Well, this morning, church, I want to invite our worship team to come forward as we start to wrap up. I believe that this morning we are better together, that God has important, transforming, hopeful work ahead. And as you look at the graph on the screen, the the, um, table that we've been looking at throughout this whole series, we can see that there are truths in, in both our past, our present, and for our future. We can think back and we can remember how God has been trustworthy and true. We can think back and know and see how God has been so good to us, how God has used our gifts, how God has used the sanctuary to impact others. That's as a remembering community. So as a remembering community, we need to recall these things as we pray, as we study the word, as we we live out our faith so that in our remembering that it would ignite, that it would ignite this this imagination of what is to come in the future. To be an imagining community means that we are praying now for what that future might look like. That we are reading God's word now so that it can inform us in the future. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I am so grateful for this series. Lord, to take an honest look about what this threshold season means. Lord, we see that it holds so much. God, you've taught us so much through this series and we're grateful for that. God, as we conclude and we move ahead, Lord, we want to be a remembering community. We wanna honor what you have done because you are good, you are faithful, you are true. And so that We want to be an imagining community as well, Lord. We want to move ahead in the ways and the steps and the plans that you have for us, God, united together as a community, including and with our neighborhood, Lord, for the purpose, God, that you would be glorified, that our community would be transformed by you, and Lord, that we would come and to know you, your son, as our Lord and our Savior. So God, as we prepare and come to the table of communion, Lord, may we know that this is a communal action. This is a communal moment and space for us, Lord, and we ask that we would be mindful to be united together and seeking what's ahead. Lord, may this meal nourish us for the imagined community you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.